This is episode nine of the Eco Warriors podcast featuring Austin Rempel from American Forests. You're listening to the Eco Warriors podcast featuring inspiring stories from women in green business, sustainability, and conservation. Here's your host, Barbara Lee. Hey, eco-warriors. While I've been traveling around the U.S. this year, I couldn't help but notice that there was a whole lot of deforestation areas that I thought were protected land. I also saw firsthand the destruction left from several wildfires in Northern California and Oregon, and it made me really sad, which is why I wanted to speak to someone from the U.S. Forestry or another organization that works on land management and reforestation in the U.S. I was really excited to talk to Austin and hear about all of the really cool projects that the American Forest Helps Fund. It was also really enlightening to hear what Austin's take was on the Christmas tree farming industry. There was a lot that I learned in this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. Let's jump in. Hey, Austin, welcome to the Eco Warriors podcast. Hey, Barbara, thank you. Good to be on. Can you tell our audience who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so my name is Austin Rempel, and I am with the organization American Forest, and I am Forest Restoration Manager. I work on the large landscape side, so it's when you see a wildfire, we're reforesting after wildfires. And that's top of mind, especially after the past couple of years and everything that's been happening around the U.S., Yeah, I mean, so I was talking to a scientist the other day, and they said that they weren't expecting to see fires like the ones we're having last year in the summer until about 50 years from now. So they're looking at the climate projections. And, you know, we didn't expect it to be this bad this fast. And here it is. I think the best part of my job is we also have a donor base that really wants to contribute to reforestation projects in the U.S. So I basically help, you know, stand up other people's projects. And that is the best part of my job. That's awesome. Talk to us about what American Forest does in general and the origin story. Totally. It is the nation's oldest conservation organization. The first founded in 1875. First 100 years after 1875, it was mostly a D.C. policy shop. It was called the American Forestry Association. And if you look at like the history books, it's kind of, you know, there in the background doing really important things this entire time, like helped found the National Forest System, helped start the Civilian Conservation Corps. So just did these, all these amazing policy wins. And then in the early 90s, started getting involved in actual on the ground restoration projects. And that is both large landscapes, so wildfires, wildlife restoration, but also urban forestry. And that is kind of the coolest thing we're doing now, I think. We have a program called Tree Equity that is focused on bringing trees and all the benefits that they provide to under served urban communities. So places that were redlined, typically communities of color that you go there and there just aren't any trees. And that is actually a, you know, kind of a health disaster because we're having more and more heat related deaths and you can actually, trees are the best solution for that. So yeah, urban forestry, large landscape forestry and policy are kind of the three pillars of American forest work. I hear you have a donor base, but kind of curious as to how these projects get funded. So we have many just individuals, people who are inspired to join our mission and work for forests in the U.S. Also corporations, big partnership program there and foundations as well. So individuals, corporations and foundations are really the people who help bankroll this work. What I do, a lot of it's giving out tree planting grants. So we find projects that are just, you know, the 
sort of the pinnacle of forestry in the U.S. and have, you know, actually contribute to conservation goals. And we help them fund their work. We help pay for seedlings um, using funds from, again, the individuals, the donors, as the corporations, the foundations. And yeah, we, yeah. Make, we make these projects larger. So it's really supporting people who have, you know, stood up their own projects. They're passionate. They know their ecosystems better than anyone else. And we just get to support and make their work bigger and better. Yes. And as someone who has planted trees before, I know how hard the work is. Uh, what were you planting? In Bonaire, uh, we were planting native tree species. It's actually a really sad history because all of the trees on the entire island were chopped down about 100 years ago. So there aren't many trees more than 100 years old on the entire island. So it's also really hard to reforest it with native plants. Wow. Okay. What's been your favorite project so far? Campfire. Um, so that was in 2018. I think many people are familiar with it because it still is the deadliest fire in recorded history, at least that we know of. 85 people lost their lives. And this was a fire that burned the town of paradise. It happened so quickly. There we were working on one implement, you know, just post-fire re- reforestation. But we also had the opportunity to a bunch of local partners, including the Bureau of Land Management and the Butte County Resource Conservation District. Uh, we did a climate plan to sort of look at where forests are going to be in 50 years, what the climate's going to be like in 50 years, and use that to plan what we should be planting and how we should be planting. I'll first I'll talk about the on-the-ground work, and that was with professional crews. As someone who's planted trees, I think you'd be amazed just at how quickly these crews can plant trees. They plant several a minute, and they plant 800 to 1,000 a day. I could practice my entire life and not be that good. So we have this amazing tree army, and something that a lot of people don't know is that they're they're migrant workers. They're, they're on visas, so it's kind of they come up from usually in the spring and plant trees all year, and they're just super good at it. And we wouldn't be able to do pretty much any forestry in the U.S. without the tree army from Latin America. Local tree planters are actually kind of hard to find in the U.S. Like in the 60s and 70s, there were a lot of, you know, they called them hodads. And they're people who plant trees. And that's thing of the past. Yeah, local tree planters are very hard to find in the U.S. Okay, that's interesting. So I guess anyone who's listening wants to change their career, become a tree planter. We weren't actually that good when we were working on this project. We were also really low funded and we used some very rudimentary tools. So campfire. So really bad fire. And, it, you know, we focus on what happened with the human community there. You know, people died, everyone lost their homes. But it was also an ecological disaster because it burned at a time of the year when, you know, it was just really hot, really fast fire. And it took out big areas where there are just no adult trees left. So there is literally no source of seed to grow little baby trees naturally. So in that case, unless we plant, forests aren't going to come back. So, so a lot of our planning was, you know, looking forward to 50 years. What do we think, based on climate models, what do we... Which tree species do we think are going to be comfortable here? And it was a completely different set of species than used to be there before the fire. So we had to find these, you know, specialized seed sources and specialized species to sort of be where the environment's going to be in a few decades. But yeah, it's, I mean, post-fire environments, a lot of people haven't spent time in those, but they're they're just rough, you know. So I always feel for the seedlings because they've grown up in nurseries, you know, they've been They've been sort of coddled for their entire lives. They've been given the perfect amount of moisture, perfect amount of uh, nutrients. And they live in this perfect environment. And then we plant them in these really, really tough landscapes. So post-fire, you know, you get full sun, there's hot wind. It's, you know, the oftentimes the soil has been cooked so hard that water can't even penetrate it. So it's just this, this terrible environment. Yeah. So that's definitely, and honestly, our coolest projects are the non, non-wildfire ones. Yes, it's incredible. Austin, it sounds like you know a lot about forests and ecosystems. What's your background? How did you get into this work? Started early. My, my dad is a, kind of a, a 
tree lover. So I think that that is where the seed was planted. I have memories, like some of my earliest memories are planting trees in our yard. And when I was a kid, I remember watching backhoes sort of recontour a river. So it's a river that we had really screwed up in some way in the past. And then they were going back and trying to turn it back into a natural river. And then like as this really young kid, I was just, you know, I thought backhoes were the symbol of destruction. Yet here we are using those to do something better, sort of correct a past mistake. And yeah, got the bug. And that's, I went to University of Colorado at Boulder and studied ecology. Nice. I was really impressed in Boulder. Some of the best trail systems I've seen in the U.S. Uh, kept on going with restoration. I actually worked in economics for a while as a, as a consultant, um, sort of estimating ecosystem services, which is another really, really important part of restoration is just telling people what the benefits are and putting them in really relatable terms. You know, like this is how much with trees, a lot, a lot of what we do is say, this by the time they're mature in say 30 to 50 years, a tree will have captured this much carbon. So the ecosystem service side is super fun. I did that for a while. And then I went to the Yale School of Forestry, which was the first forestry school in the U.S., Yes, for sure. So that's really cool. You truly actually grew up in the field. I'm curious if there was a moment for you where you felt particularly inspired by nature or the work that you're doing. <laughs> I unfortunately have so many inspiring moments every day because it's just like at the moment I love my job. I'm like, I, again, the part I love and I'm inspired by it and sort of motivated every day is supporting other people's projects. Like I can tell you about one in Hawaii. They are planting a bird corridor that is designed to help these endangered forest birds go from sort of low elevation forests through a big pasture that is currently like they just it's too big and too far to fly so they can't get there but they basically a migratory corridor between low elevation forests and high elevation forests for these birds to escape what we call the mosquito line so mosquitoes there carry malaria and it kills all these endangered birds we're trying to plant this escape gate patch for them so that they can over time especially as hawaii continues to heat up with climate change they can migrate up the sides of mauna kea which is a dormant volcano so yeah i think it's just like i would never ever have dreamed of that project. And yet in this job, I have the opportunity to like, you know, meet and talk with the people who dream this up and know how to do it. These people know more about, you know, Hawaiian native endangered plants than anyone alive. And yeah, we get to basically help fund their work and make it bigger. Like that is so satisfying. So I deal a lot in these, these inspiring moments, even as an adult in my, in my job, which is pretty cool. On that same note, I was in Washington and I could see a lot of deforestation and I'm very aware of the way that some areas try to keep deforestation away from the roads and away from public eye. So see deforestation in the U S is a really complicated topic as you alluded to. So when Europeans came to the U S really cut down almost all the trees, especially the old growth ones. So there is this long period, whereas, you know, the entire, U.S. was just really deforested. And we've basically spent the past, you know, 150 years sort of coming back from that to where you look at how many trees there are in the U.S. and every year there are more and more just because like, especially on the East Coast, trees really want to grow there and they come up by themselves. And, and so tree cover in the U.S. has actually been increasing for a really long time, which is kind of confusing because we look around and there, you know, there are clearly places that have been clear cut and have no trees. So it's kind of hard to hold these stats all at once in the head where tree cover is increasing and we have more trees trees now than I think any Americans that are alive have experienced. But at the same time, there's this incredible legacy of deforestation. And let's talk a little bit about industrial forestry. So in the U.S., we still have lots of industrial forests in, in the Pacific Northwest where you saw them. And then also in the in the South, in the Southeast, where trees just grow just as, just as fast as they do in the Northwest. And it is important.
important. You know, these these are private lands managed by professional foresters, and we do have you know a huge array of, of laws and requirements that they do it the right way. So it's better than the, the logging we would have seen a hundred years ago. You know, which is sort of cut and burn. Don't care about the salmon streams, which they have in Washington. Now they're doing that in a way that at least um, I think protects some of the, the values that are there. But it still just is. It is amazing to see a clear cut. Um, and I think it's just important to remember that we, you know, we need wood and this is one of actually the best places to get wood in the, in the world because it's either that or quite often getting it from, you know, sort of illegally logged forests in the Amazon. So sustainable forestry definitely has its place if we use wood. Um, but at the same time, it's, we need, <laughs> we need to be restoring the places that need trees, you know, so it's a post fire environments. We haven't seen fires of the scale and we're losing forests like crazy because of them. And those are ones that I think we have sort of a, a moral obligation to replant because um, love the climate needs those trees animals need those trees our watersheds and drinking water needs those trees so yeah and then lastly my last point on deforestation in the u.s is i think the biggest deforestation crisis we have is really in uh, urban communities you know you can go to places in any large city and there are blocks and blocks without any single tree and one thing we're we're sort of we say a lot but if you look at a map of tree cover that is quite often a map of um, race and income so it's you know you go to the sort of rich white neighborhoods and they will have hundred year old trees and you go just a few blocks away and communities that were bees of color that were redlined um, they don't have a single tree interesting thanks for expanding on that I want to pivot a bit because I think you're talking about a lot of things that some folks may not be familiar with. For someone who knows nothing and wants to learn more about the importance of trees and the intersectionality problem in our society around trees, where should they go? Going to our website, you will find a lot of that. One of the biggest benefits of trees that we're talking about nowadays is carbon absorption. So trees take carbon dioxide out of the air to sort of build up their body. One of the ways we can sort of slow down climate change and make it better for both people and wildlife is just getting more trees out there because they will sort of slow the effects and basically provide cover for us during during climate change. You know, a lot of provide shade and stuff like that. So so trees is a climate solution. That is our unquestionably our biggest opportunity in terms of using natural restoration techniques to, to fight climate change. So we're coming up on the holidays and I really admire when people want to celebrate, but I really dislike the concept of cutting down trees for decoration, especially when those trees don't make it to compost. But I also really don't love the fake plastic trees that are being used instead because really we're just putting more plastic into the environment. I think it's really important to celebrate the holidays and wondering what your take is on Christmas tree farms. Yeah, you know, so I I lived in Oregon for a while and you had outside of any of the major cities and it's just one Christmas tree farm after another. And so honestly, that experience kind of changed my view of it. You know, for a while, I would have definitely thought, yes, a plastic one that you can reuse every year is a way better thing. In general, I think that's true. But at the same time, Christmas tree farms are kind of awesome. You know, like it, it is the source of rural employment that's really important in a lot of different parts of the U.S. So like Oregon, Washington, uh, back east in Virginia, there's some too. And these are farms that might not actually be farms if not for people buying Christmas trees. So it, it does have some, some positive impacts, just the tree farming industry. You know, like these are places, these are sustainable farms and these trees are doing great things while they're growing. They sequester carbon. So I don't think we should feel inherently bad about Christmas tree farms in the U.S. because they do come from, from pretty good farmers in the U.S. And then there's there are better things to do with 
your Christmas trees. So again, in the Northwest, there is a nonprofit there that I think is Trout Unlimited. Every year they have these sort of drop-off zones where people can come and bring their Christmas trees, drop them off, and then they, using volunteers, will put them in stream restoration projects because a lot of the problem with streams nowadays is that because we got rid of all the trees, there isn't a source of trees to sort of fall into rivers. Rivers need trees in them. You know, it it helps the flow. um, It helps create habitat. So lack of big wood in rivers is actually a really bad thing for fish. So this is why the organization Trout Unlimited collects Christmas trees and uh, takes them out and puts them in streams that need habitat for these baby salmon. You know, there's nothing better for a baby salmon than to sort of shack up inside a, a Christmas tree in a stream. I didn't even know that was a thing. And that blew my mind. You know, like these are super fun projects. It's great to throw a Christmas tree into a river. What I'm hearing is buy a Christmas tree, but make sure what happens with the Christmas tree afterwards is mindful to the planet. Yeah doesn't necessarily have to be a very guilty thing if you make sure that you use your Christmas tree afterwards in a, in a wise way. Austin, if someone wants to help out or get involved with American Forest, how can they find you? And also, what can they do to help with these problems that you're seeing? Yeah, so, I mean, our, our website, my email is on here, so happy to have the email. But I think in terms, there's just so many things that individuals can do. One is, honestly, is just planting trees. So, they're this week... A report was released looking at, you know, if we are going to take advantage of trees and ecosystem restoration as this sort of climate mitigation and adaptation opportunity, where are all of those going to go? And a lot of it is on private lands. Looking at the Biden administration's climate change, a lot of about a third of the administration's uh, climate change goals can only be achieved by working on private lands. And so this means that everyone who has access to, to private land, if they own it, should be thinking about whether or not that's a place that was once forested. And forests just need a little bit of help coming back. Um, again, that's an that's an incredibly local question. You know, a farmer in Oklahoma is going to have a different set of challenges and things to consider than someone living on the West Coast. But I mean, this the fact is, <laughs> planting trees, people need to do it on their land. And we think so. For folks that live in cities, um, almost every city will have sort of a urban forestry nonprofits that are focused on putting trees in the right places. And I'd say go and support them because you know, it's just I can't think of a city that doesn't have some sort of amazing urban forestry nonprofit that knows how to knows where to find these trees, knows which ones we should plant and knows where to plant them because almost all of our cities, especially certain neighborhoods, need these trees. So that, that is another way. I'd, we could do a lot better if everyone was sort of an urban forest advocate. And then there are, if you want to contribute to sort of large landscape restoration. So when you see a big wildfire going and finding the places that aren't going to come back by themselves, if you want to contribute to that sort of work, there are nonprofits like American Forest that are sort of leading this work with the Forest Service. So it's I guess I'd say get involved with your local nonprofits <laughs> is the is part of the message there. And then also plug for politics. There are certain politicians that are really on it and some that aren't. Yeah, supporting the right ones leads to so much difference. You know, that that leads to right now just different funding for the Forest Service. You know, they can fight fires better or worse depending on how much funding they get. And they can quite often lately, um, the Forest Service has been so defunded that they just don't really even have resources to think about reforestation after fires. This is too big a big a problem. So, you know, asking your senators to support bills that address that problem, that is another way to do it. Austin, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, Barbara, thank you. I learned so much from this conversation with Austin, especially that Christmas trees aren't that bad, as long as we're being mindful of what we do with them at the end of the season. I also love the idea of helping to build habitat for river wildlife. Sounds like a project I want to go look up and take part in. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will consider looking up local tree planting organizations near you, as Austin suggested. Have a happy holiday season and tune in again next week for more inspiring stories from eco-warriors around the world. Stay green.
Ikai Warriors podcast is produced by Hanzo Rodriguez. Research assistance by Belinda Chu and hosted by Barbara Lee. Thanks for listening. For more inspiration, follow us on Instagram at Eco Warriors Podcast.